0: Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben Wilson, and today I'm sitting across a Zoom call from Kevin Gangle, uh, and we're going to have a casual conversation over a cup of coffee where we dive into some of life's most important, meaningful, and difficult questions of being human. That's what this podcast is all about, and that's why I think, Kevin, you are a fantastic fit for the podcast and a guest that i'm really excited to have on um, we've known each other for quite a few years as friends and colleagues uh, work together on several things that we'll talk about um, throughout this conversation i just want to thank you for your time today and for coming on and uh, being a guest on the show
1: oh that's awesome ben thank you so much for the invitation so i'm a big fan of yours and uh, i was just telling my 13 uh, year old i was doing a, a podcast today and I said it's with my friend ben he's one of those people that i consider just like like a, such a close friend that we never get to spend enough time together or hang out together so i know. really it, happy to be here
0: thank you oh well i feel the same way and to give people a little bit of context as to how we kind of came to know each other and what uh, the work is that we're both talking about uh, that means a lot to both of us uh, you are a founding partner in unstoppable conversations why don't you give us a little bit of a background on what Unstoppable is all about, and uh, and then we'll we'll kind of hit the rewind and go back into your sort of origin mm-hmm. story and what brought you to Unstoppable. But tell me a little bit first about like the work that you do.
1: Cool. Yeah. So uh, Unstoppable Conversations. Uh, we're a group that works with leadership teams, uh, whether it be corporates, all three levels of government, not for profits or communities. And we have them uh, kind of like go through this process where they discover their blind spots, right? And they kind of discover, you know, why are things are the way around uh, here, um, the way they work, um, whether it's working or not working. And then uh, having done that, they get to discover the group paradigm that they're stuck inside of. And uh, we have them test that against the future that they really want. It's always found lacking, which is what happened when you and I met in Bashaw years ago and then uh we asked them this uh question called why do you exist um it's pretty existential right uh for corporate work uh but why do you exist as a team as a as a company as a community and then they answer that question and then we custom design you know live in real time right on the spot a new paradigm like a mental model that they craft against that big future and that big purpose mm-hmm. so it's unique uh it's something nobody has ever said before in the world and then we go after you know, whatever they wanna get done. So they, they accomplish things that seem impossible. Um, so it's not your usual kind of consulting uh, practice uh, because we're not interested in uh, strategic plans particularly or processes or systems. It's all about the human condition and the fundamental elements of what makes humans effective together.
0: Mm. Yeah, I want people to get that this is really distinct from just another strategy planning session or uh, let's sit down and update our vision statement and our, our mission as, uh, as a, like we, we did that as a church actually years ago. Um, and it was inspired by work that we had done uh, mm-hmm. recently with you in, in the community of Basha. And uh, we were, you know, sitting down as a church board and it was very easy to collapse what we were trying to do. which just kind of modeled after um, your work of seeing our blind spots and creating a new, uh, idea of what could be possible for the future of our church, uh, collapsing that with oh, so we just need another mission statement, or let's let's yeah. revise our slogan, right? And we we did come up with a new vision as part of that. But help me and help listeners, maybe Kevin, understand how is this not just um, identifying strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? You know, your traditional kind of SWAT analysis, and then. Uh, out clunks this, you know, new, this is how we're going to do business. And this is what our, our new mission or vision is, whether it's for a church or a community or a corporate structure or a family or a marriage. Um, How is this work so distinctly different? I've got kind of my ideas of what makes it distinct. I'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, for for sure. And, and, you know, if if somebody wanted to call us management consultants or executive coaches or or something like that, it, it wouldn't be inaccurate at one level. But in our uh, sessions, often we start by spending two days together kind of in an an intensive. And in our sessions, it's not uncommon for somebody to come back uh, on day two and say, I I had my first full night's sleep for the first time in 20 years. That's something a participant has said to us, right? Um, So that's kind of like, you know, there's value and then there's pricelessness. Um, We've had people come back between day one and two and say, I have a completely different relationship with my uh, teenage son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have had clients, uh, say, uh, under no, no lack of clarity, you saved my marriage. And, and I guarantee you we're not there. We didn't get hired to save their marriage or let them <laughs> sleep at night. And, and that's not the topics of conversation, but the tools that we offer, um, because it's about human beings, all human beings, you can use it at home just as easily as you do at work. So while while we can work with a big company like Lululemon for them to do a massive innovation and open up these new concept stores in, in New York, um, or we can come into a small town like Bashaw with you know less than nine hundred people in it and have them grapple with you know what's the future um, that they're going to create for themselves. Those are all made up of human beings, right? All these leaders um, have have blind spots that get in the way at work, and those same blind spots get in the way at home. So. Um, and that kind of speaks to the second level of of what's distinct. So almost nobody deals in in blind spots, right? So people either deal in, um, here's a bunch of information, right? And we're gonna teach you the information Then if you regurgitate it and say the right things to the right people at the right time, you'll get amazing results. And that's not very different than our K-12 to education. Nothing wrong with that, but it's a particular brand of learning or development that's based mm-hmm. on knowledge, right? and uh, knowledge is great except for where it sucks and makes it worse. And uh, <laughs> where knowledge sucks and makes it worse is if, uh, if I'm you know, still 10 pounds overweight and you give me my 87th diet tip, it's not the diet tips anymore. Something's clearly wrong with me, right? That the first 86 didn't work. Or if uh, I give you a big tip on a better relationship with your wife and I go, hey, say I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, right. Oh, I didn't know that one.
0: <laughs> I, I forgot, I
1: forgot. I forgot. I'll, I'll try yeah, further right.
0: to remember.
1: So there's a million models out there, right? Um, you know, and some of them really, really good, but why are human beings bad at implementing the model? Why are they bad at using the model? Especially when times are hard or stressful, which is when you need the model. And then the, the second way people learn is by experience. It's not better, but it's different and it lasts longer. So when you learn to ride a bike you discovered balance. Balance is only ever discoverable. You can't teach it. That's why when you quote unquote teach your kids to ride a bike, they get mad at you because you're giving them information about an experiential learning. And then eventually they blame you for falling down. <laughs> right. You probably yeah. have had that experience. Well, we're, uh, we're, I know we're
0: I just... It we're just about to take the training wheels off of grayson's bike and because of (laughs) well because of covid we've been home so much and um one bike ride as it's finally started to get nicer out the last few weeks um going out for a family bike ride was something that we could actually do that would get us all out of the house yeah not not have to worry about especially in a like you said a small community of less than 900 people we can tour we can cruise the streets and not be in uh within too close of distance of any big crowds or anything so the girls totally are right. ripping around on their two wheelers grace still got the training wheels they're little plastic wheels and they're really loud so they drive the girls crazy and we need to get them off so he's going to be experiencing that that transformational moment where he just aha gets it and has balance so that's yeah. kind of what you're getting at is that it's a it's a transformational learning in that you you don't ever go back to not having that balance. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, from from not balance to balance is a is a transformation. And you know, quick parenting tip, it's gonna go poorly, by the way, because that's the the nature of transformation. There will be a time when it's all going wrong. Mm-hmm. And see that experience, deep experiences that really impact you often lead to transformation. They don't necessarily, right? So balance is experiential but it's also a context shift because you go from I can't to I can mm. And you go from I can get that far to like, oh, I've got freedom, right? So the contextual shift that happens is distinct from the balance itself. But in this case, they're, they're related. Now the nature of transformation, and, and we don't mean digital transformation or, or some of those other things, we mean like human uh, level transformation or organizational, societal level transformation. So when something transforms, there's something that was there, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then it has to die for the new thing to have space to exist. So that sounds pretty existential again, right? But if you look at uh, as a child going from being completely dependent to being independent, that's a contextual shift. Right, and your kids are a little bit younger than mine. But when they start going, hey, I need twenty bucks, and can I have the car keys? You're like, oh, independent, got it. (laughs) That new (laughs) stage has begun.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you know, somewhere in there, you realize like, oh, I can't pick them up anymore. Right. Yeah. So there's a contextual shift that happens for all humans beings to go from dependent as a context for life. Right. I can't do anything without you. To independent, which is like, oh, I can do things on my own. And then there's another shift from independent to interdependent. And human beings uh, are bad at that one. Uh, You know, you and I are here in Alberta, um, you know, in Canada and the divorce rate is 55%. So over half of marriages can't transcend from independence to interdependent. Teams and organizations grapple with that same thing, right? They're all busy, you know, competing against themselves instead of competing against the market or competing against something worthy like cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and then uh, we had
0: a story. We had a really powerful example of that in the the first work that we did together when Unstoppable came to our community, and we gathered uh, leaders from all of the different nonprofit uh, groups uh, in the community. So we had like the food bank and the library and a couple of churches and the school was there and um, the family support services and like thirty other ones. Right, we had as many. Nonprofit organizations, as we had people almost in the town, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we discovered and it, I mean it shouldn't have been shocking, but we discovered that, hey, we're all competing for the same grants and the same resources and the same volunteer uh, you know everyone's trying to to fill up volunteer shifts by asking the same people and and so i I, I think that's a really good example of what you're talking about where that um, uh, that process of discovering what's in the way of uh, and uh, well you, you use the term uh, interdependency right versus yeah going from being independent to, to interdependent and every, everyone wants to say oh yeah, you know we just we collaborate and we just get along and we support each other and we work together but then once you like what is the magic sauce that helps people realize that they're not doing what they think and they're doing or what they say they're doing.
1: Oh, great question, man. That's just a killer question. So the, the magic sauce is we all deal with transformation. We all we all want a different world, a better world for our companies, our teams, our towns, our, our families. But our approach to it is extremely conceptual, right? Mm. And, and when I say conceptual, it's like, oh, if I give you the, the, the formula, you can apply it. Um, do what this town did. Good luck with that one, right? So you're not that town. <laughs> you're in a different situation, right? You have a different context than they do. Or if they say, you know, uh, the school of hard knocks, you know, is, is the path to success. That's that's a path to success. But like, do you have time to, to have that many bruises and that much pain or experience that many, you know, crucible moments? So we think that if we gave people enough concepts or the right concept, the right model, it would solve everything. So the secret sauce and I'll throw out a you know, big 10 cent word we don't usually use is phenomenology. Right. So that's the ology of phenomenons. (laughs) So a phenomenon is just something you experience, right? So something happens in life, you experience it, and then you figure it out. You add meaning. You make sense of it, right? Mm -hmm. So our version of leadership is like, you know, like, no, what are you actually dealing with? Who's the person actually there? What do you actually say to them? What do you actually say to them that doesn't work? What do you actually say to them that you know doesn't work? What do you actually say to them that you know doesn't work and you've said it a bunch of times and you knew every single time it didn't work, you promised yourself never to say that again and you said it again. Why do you do that? And then people go, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But now we've gotten to actually a good question because human beings, leaders, people on teams regularly do things that betray their own core values and most sacred beliefs. Now, see, conceptually, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I should apologize to my wife. It's like, no, really. What's the situation? What time was it? Where were you? What did she say? What was that moment where you're like, I shouldn't say this? And you said it like that moment right there. Experientially, we got to slow the tape way down, capture that moment. And that's where we dive in. We lean into the human condition at that Mm. moment because all people do that, but they don't know why they do it. And Mm. then they're like, ah, what are you going to do? I guess we'll just not talk about that one for the next 20 years.
0: (laughs) That's so good. Um, Yeah, it really is like your, you know, in movies where they'll um, they'll kind of just freeze time and they'll freeze the whole scene and whether it's like the flash or someone who's just really fast is able to go through the scene and just kind of like move this bullet. So it's now going to miss that person and kind of really dissect every little detail it's, it's kind of like the work that you do where you say, okay, well, what was the moment? Who was there? Like, what would, what would the video camera have captured if we were yeah. filming this play out? Because we, we lie. We don't, we don't yeah. relay or even recall to our, in our own conscience, in our own mind. We don't recall what happened in an accurate way. So yes. we, we lie to others about like, oh, well, you know, I was like, just, you know, super calm and <laughs> I, I said this and well how, how did it actually play out? And that's, yeah. that's not something that we uh, very frequently delve in. We don't really muck around in um, that kind of investigative exploration of our own behavior and our own actions.
1: Yeah. That's a great way to describe it i I got this you know version from you know uh you know uh, either the flash or csi when they freeze the scene and then somebody walks around as the detective they're like oh this is what's actually happening this is what's actually happening oh you missed that part right so that that freeze Mm -hmm. scene is a really sort of a, a, a powerful part of it and then there's a there's a courage that's required um to generate or or to to start your own transformation is you gotta be willing to look at what can I be responsible for where I'm being an idiot, a jerk, uh, you know, and uh, where I have no interest in being responsible because my primary survival mechanism in life is to blame the people around me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: See, that's that's a shift in paradigm right there. What if I was 100% responsible for this situation that isn't working? Not because of blame, shame, guilt, credit, fault, which is our normal paradigm, right? But like, no, well, what could I be responsible for? My actions, my words, or what I didn't say, what I didn't do when I knew there was something to do. And if I'm willing to be uniquely responsible for that, and then as a leader, if I'm being willing to be uniquely responsible for what's going on in my team or my sector, that's a whole different level of power.
0: Yeah. So what have you experienced in your work for? The, I don't I don't know how many years you've been doing this. I know at least eight or or ten years or so. Would that be about right?
1: Yeah, stuff has been around for uh, for ten years. We started up in twenty ten. Uh, but I was doing it as I was doing the same stuff as sort of guerrilla warfare when I was in the corporate world for another ten years. <laughs> before, and I realized over time that it worked way better than the the traditional stuff.
0: Okay, cool. So in in the ten or twenty years, if you want to zoom out that far, what kind of um, impact have you seen when people are able to uh, step forward and say, you know what, I'm going to be I'm going to just choose to be responsible for the the future of my my church thriving in a time of unprecedented uncertainty, or my restaurant, um, you know, getting back on its feet after all of these restrictions yeah. are lifted, or I'm going to just choose to save my marriage, or I'm going to choose to turn around my my parent daughter relationship or whatever it might be.
1: Wow. So, uh, so the one that, that springs right to mind, so I was uh, on the phone uh, this morning with a friend and a client named uh, Norman uh, Yakalaya. He's the national chief of the Dene Nation. Uh, we recently did an interview uh, with him that you're familiar with, Ben. And um, so when Norman uh, dove into the kind of work that we do, like discovering, you know, in the moment, uh, what his blind spots are, he uh, shared very powerfully, and he talks about it in the interview, his experience in uh, residential school. And, uh, you know, uh, that's an experience that, you know, a lot of people uh, in Canada have had, but even the people who haven't, uh, will be able to relate to it. So he was given a number, uh, which was uh, literally tattooed on him. And he was told that that's who he was. Now that's a horrific thing uh, to do. And it's part of the, you know, legacy that we're all trying to figure out around truth and, and reconciliation. But Norman, as an individual leader, was already up to a big game. And he got to see that not only did that happen to him, right, and that had the impact it had, not only did somebody say that to him, but at some point in time, he said it to himself. Mm. Very understandable. I think he was seven at the time. He's not mentally, physically, emotionally prepared you know, to take on uh, you know, uh, colonization by himself <laughs> yeah. when he's been taken away from his family. But he was able to see that not only did that happen, not only did somebody say that to him, but at some point in time, he chose that as his own internal truth. Hmm. Now, Norman doesn't need to be responsible for that. And that doesn't take away from the wrongness of the system that did that, that dehumanized him. But he was able to slow the camera down, like you said, enough that he could go, oh, there's something I can be uniquely responsible for. I can be uniquely responsible for the moment that I said, that's who I am. Mm. And then he could grapple with as, as an adult where that was limiting him and his expression. And one of the things he discovered was a very uh, deep need to please people. Right. So even though he knew that didn't work, he couldn't overcome it because he didn't know where it was rooted. So he was able to find the, the root of that and kind of tear out the root of that. And then uh, he declared uh, soon after that, that his uh, purpose in life is that all indigenous youth in Canada are free from the trauma of the past. Wow. So that gave him the power to speak, not just for himself, but to speak a fundamental truth that needs to be spoken on behalf of all youth. Now, I haven't asked Norman this question, but I suspect the elders that he goes to, he considers them some of those youth because they mm-hmm. were youth at some point in time. And whatever trauma any of us have from our youth, we, we tend to bring forward with us, obviously. Uh, and it was from that declaration that he decided to run uh, for national chief of the Dene Nation. And then he was able to lead a conversation for them where they say, we speak with one voice. And that is not something that had been happening since 1969. So the Dene Nation now speaks with one voice and then they're figuring out what does that look like? How does that play? How do we get that done together? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one example. I'm just moved wow. um, every single time that I speak with him and the, the size of what he's choosing to take on as a leader.
0: Yeah. There, there's no like right size of goal or ambition or or a vision of what could be possible that like, I'm, I'm, I remember in some of the sessions that you guys have led that I've either been filming for you guys or a participant mm-hmm. in them and hearing people bring, bring, bring their life to the work and bring up something that at first it might, um, from the outside looking in sound like, Oh, well, that, you know, that seems like it wasn't super traumatic or that doesn't sound like that, you know, big of a thing to try to transform. But, then when, when, when someone gets really authentic about what they're dealing with and chooses to be brave enough to be vulnerable about why it matters to them, Mm -hmm. um, anything that someone's dealing with in their life, it's like, that's their life, you know, like that, of, of course it's meaningful. And it's, I mean, the example that you just shared is, is huge in that he's, um, he's choosing to be responsible for something that is larger than just himself. But whether it's, you know, something that you're just trying to work on internally, something that's from your past that you want to heal, a relationship with one person, a team, a community community level, nationally, globally. I mean, I, I what I've witnessed happen is that once someone starts putting the wrench on the thing that needs to move, they start realizing that, you know what, this is bigger than just myself. And so yeah. even if you start working on something where it's, you know i want to get i want to change this habit that I have, or mm-hmm. I want to be more productive. I want to have a bigger sense of purpose for my life. then almost automatically, it seems like they they start extrapolating that out to, well, then that would impact my family or well, then that would impact the people that I work with. and well, yeah, hey, i I could apply that to my community or I could apply that to my um my my church. I could apply that to my business like. Have you so, right. witnessed a lot of that happening, where there's just this kind of ballooning effect of it just starts to expand on its uh, of its own energy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's and again, it's the nature of transformation that you're you're talking about, Ben. So the you know our interest in Unstoppable is uh, organizations uh, transforming themselves, going after something bigger than they've ever done before, and then le- leveraging their power and influence uh, to make a world that works for everybody with no one and nothing left out. Mm. Like that's the game that we're in. Now, but the means uh, to that end, we also say that the degree to which you can transform your organization, your community, the world is the same degree to which you're transforming yourself. So because we deal with this fundamental being, right, that we call human being and that like the mechanisms of how we work in the world, like you can't separate the two. Mm-hmm. You can't have a CEO transform their company if they're not looking for themselves, just like, you know, you and the other leaders in Bashaw, you couldn't transform Bashaw uh, into a place that exists for the fulfillment of human potential, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you weren't looking for yourselves to see what's your own blind spot, like what's keeping you from doing that. Yeah. Because yeah. if you, yeah. if yeah. you yeah. declare that, that Bashaw is the place for the fulfillment of human potential, like you can be anything you want to be. And this is where to, to live in the world if you're not being that if you're not walking the talk if you're not being the change you want to see in the world that's all garbage yeah so literally you know you and the other leaders there are doing that work continually Mm -hmm. and then you know you pointed it out you've been in our six day leadership course and you've listened to those you know conversations and whatever the moment in time where blind spots are created sometimes they're dramatic and sometimes they're just not right One of mine was when i was seven and i I couldn't lift hay bales you know up on the truck uh in small town kansas and uh i decided that that meant uh quote unquote i'm weak i didn't know i decided that but that had a massive impact on my willingness to lead and Mm -hmm. all through life from seven to 28 i was willing to lead if it was just me
0: because i'm (laughs) smart and
1: creative and Capable and I know I, you know, um, I can charm people if I need to and and whatever that is. So if I could like go off onto the frontier, like I went to Japan, you know, on my own, I lived there for three years right out of university, I could lead that way. But anytime it was a group, I was the second in command of every single thing I ever did. Wow. And and I justified, I thought that literally meant I'm a leader. Even though my blind spot is called I'm not a leader. Why? Because I'm weak, right? It's like this you know, consecutive, you know, uh, you know, context that I live inside of, I don't know that I do. And I would have, I would have fought you if you said, you're not a leader. Like I was the vice president of this and the vice president of that. And I was the second person in charge of the conference. And Mm -hmm. like, I would literally give you my resume, which is the proof that I'm the second in command of everything, but I can't see it. Like I've got my blinders on. Right. 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 A different you know, moment for me was uh, I would help my dad, uh, quote unquote, fix the truck, which meant I would hold the flashlight for him, and he would say no to every single idea I I'd had about which tool to use.
0: <laughs> More and reinforcement then, you know, of, your, of your context.
1: Yeah. So at, at no point did my father ever say to me, I don't listen to you. Your opinion doesn't matter. I don't respect you. But somewhere, just like Norman said something to himself at one point in time that for him became true... I said to myself, oh, you're not listening. And my brain was like, well, why isn't he listening? Oh, well, maybe he doesn't respect me. Oh, why doesn't he respect me? Oh, maybe he doesn't really love me. He loves me. Maybe he doesn't really love me. Well, why is that? Maybe I'm not enough. These are the levels of of meaning making that for me, a seven-year-old brain was just trying to figure out why is my dad not taking any of my ideas? He never said any of that, but I did.
0: Right. Now, the, what you're describing here, Kevin, is starting to sound a little bit like something that someone would um, someone would uncover through the course of months of weekly therapy sessions. You know, mm-hmm. you go you go to your therapist and you talk about your childhood, and we make jokes about it. But, you know, you people have mommy issues or daddy issues, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, put up my hand. Everybody, everybody um, has those issues from our childhood because those are our formative years. Um, but I have watched people with you and with Vic uh, and the rest of the Unstoppable team, yeah. just like in minutes get to like, well, this is what happened when I was six. And, and they, they clearly have recalled that memory before, but then in a, the span of a five minute conversation or 10 minute conversation with uh, you facilitating or Vic or someone on the team asking the critical questions to get them to, to look at it a little bit differently, they're in tears all of a sudden and realizing what they made it mean and taking that responsibility for it. Like you talked about where, like, it, it, to me, it's just incredible that it can happen that quickly versus needing weeks and weeks or months and months yeah. of, of therapy. Um, and it is distinct from, from therapy, but it's, it's aiming at sort of the same, sort of a similar goal, I think. Would you agree?
1: Well, we're we're all after being effective with each other. We're all after being self-expressed, uh, being whole, mm. being healthy. And, and you're right; ours is not a, a psychology paradigm or, or a psychological process. And you know, I'm not trained in in that area. I would never attempt to do that. Mm. But my my layman's version is that psychology. If you go back to Freud and you know all of those, uh, you know people who for, formed psychology 100 years ago or so, um, psychology is diagnostic. It's like I will listen and I will tell you, right? I will diagnose your issue, and that second part is critical. There is an issue, so something is wrong, right? Um, mentally, um, so psychology has those two aspects to it. And I apologize to any psychologists uh, out there if I if I said that wrong, but so it's diagnostic and it's predicated on there's something wrong. So our work doesn't have any of that. It's not diagnostic. It's it's as lived, right? And, you know, it may have something to do with your mommy and daddy issues or it may not. Right. I, I don't know. And I kind of don't care. Right. Um, lifting a hay bale wasn't a daddy issue, you know, either. Right. It was just hay bales. Right. <laughs> Nobody's like, all right, let's talk about your hay bale issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, small town uh, kids like me and Ben will get that. But um so for, for us, we worked with an a $80 million national not-for-profit, uh, and it's, it's one of our case studies uh, with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, and uh, working with uh, the executives uh, and the board, uh, one of the blind spots was the executive deeply believed that ophthalmologists don't like blind people. They see them as numbers and that's because this not for profit uh was founded right after world war 1 when there was no services whatsoever for vision loss and then the ophthalmologists are seen as these service providers who are making money off of it right for uh ulterior motives so over time this group think formed somebody like complained about something they heard probably one time and then they said to somebody else and they're like yeah maybe ophthalmologists don't care as much as we do i don't know how all that happened but then over time this group think forms right Mm. and then inside of that people naturally stop saying what they really mean in this case it was like sharing what they really wanted what the real vision was like switching to social enterprise models uh changing a 98 year old successful business model and the risk that that entails but doing it for a a good you know massive transformational purpose right the gray wave is coming and you know literally the organization couldn't continue to function the way it had with you know baby boomers aging and all these things Mm so in one of those moments the 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 ceo was able to see that his blind spot was that he doesn't say what he needs to say and wants to say to the board and he doesn't do that because of this thought that for him somewhere in you know the recent past had become true they don't care you know uh, so it's like an us them mm. and then he shared that with the the board chair in front of everybody like 15 16 people the kind of thing that CEOs don't usually say publicly, right? And that was a transformative moment for the organization. You know, we didn't talk about, you know, what happened, you know, when he was five with his mom or dad or, you know, didn't matter. And because in that moment, the blind spot was right there. Now that blind spot is probably related to something further back in this human being's past, like it is for all of us, but we don't have to go back to that originating moment because it's right here, right now. It's live and it's, it's guiding what you're willing to say, not willing to say, how you say it, how you listen, what you can hear, what you don't wanna hear, what you reject, all of these things. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the turning point for them to generate a, a, a brand new business model. And uh, you know, one single result they got was to, to have $4 million in permanent annual new funding. Uh, and then they took that and they applied it directly to a new social enterprise model. And then they brought uh, services for uh, people with vision loss uh, inside the Canada Health Act. and it had been the only health issue that was funded purely by philanthropy until then. So they ended that um, you know, anomaly right wow. after ninety eight years.
0: That's a powerful, powerful story, and a huge example of what's possible when people disrupt those blockages that are in the way of of moving forward without well blind spots. like <laughs> and of course, I'm sure there was many jokes made about the uh, blind spots that were getting in the way for the CNIB yeah (laughs) Yeah, of course right so yeah um, but so you talking about how they um, pivoted just got me thinking and this is one um, question I wanted to ask you today is we're in the midst of this pandemic globally where um, we've been at this for what 10 or 11 weeks now something like that most of us working from home and in Canada still um, well, just now starting phase one, I guess, of sort of the reopening, Different countries all over the world are are starting to, uh, you know, get their economies up and running again and allowing businesses to open up and easing up on some of the restrictions. There's talk of second waves of the virus, uh, impacting th- those things and those opening uh, reopening plans. But what I want to talk to you about is at a, at a time when everyone is kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, let's maybe reevaluate what business as usual was and what are, you know, there's, there's no going back to normal. There's, there's no way that we can just hit the rewind button and, and go back to what life looked like in December or January. Although there's so, people who want to, of, of course, you know, there's, and yeah, we, of course, but um, you hear a lot of talk about, you know, maybe now's a a, re, a really good time to reevaluate how we do, food service, how we do uh, urban planning, how we do even i just heard on the radio the other day, uh, someone floating the idea of maybe we should be having a four day work week instead of a five day work week. Mm-hmm. Um, just massive high level rethinking of how we do civilization, basically. Yeah. Um, the, obviously, things like the cruise industry and the airline industry are never going to look exactly like they were yeah. before. Um, there's there's certain examples that are going to be really heavily transformed whether they like it or not and some uh some of those transformations will be really difficult for people but um i think that it's i mean it's obviously a time where transformational um learning and transformational coaching and transformational work like the work that you guys do at unstoppable is i mean there's there's never been a more important time to for people to to have their hands on these types of tools what do you see um, as like how how do we move forward through this pandemic and use some of the uh, the fundamental principles of that transformational work that that you have dedicated your life to to make this world a better place? Like now, now is our opportunity, right?
1: Yeah. Nice light question. Yeah. Um...
0: <laughs> hey, I warned you. This podcast is all about tackling important That's why but we're very here, man. very difficult questions that is why we're here
1: you know it, it really is a it, it could be an opportunity so one of the things we've been talking about we've been uh, hosting some unconferences which is like you know unstructured conversations for business and organizational leaders to just see are we even asking the right questions or can we ask better questions instead of spew our answers you know at each at each other and um you know, one of the things uh, that people are talking about is how, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic has been a threat accelerator. So, um, you know, we started asking people, what are the what are the things that in retrospect you can see that you built or did that gave you a lot of capacity to respond to the crisis, even though you didn't know that you had it, right? We had Jackie Northy from Bashaw speak about that, and she's doing it again in a, in a couple of weeks. And uh, there's a lot of social infrastructure that had gotten built that Bashaw didn't even know how good it was, right, until the pandemic hit. And then they're handling it so differently from other communities in Alberta that it's like a whole different world. Hmm. And then the the next question was, so you've got some capacity you didn't even know you had, and, but also given that it's a threat accelerator, where are you seeing the cracks that were already there in the organization that you now know really how bad it is, or like, oh my God, there really is a, a crack there. So it's revealing all of the, the weaknesses, all of the, the gaps, um, all of the failings of our current systems. And by systems, I mean democracy, capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, supply chains, logistics, you know, you name it. Um, you know, our approach to what the not-for-profit sector even is.
0: Yeah. Big and then stuff.
1: Huge, huge everything stuff. Everything from right?
0: how we vote to how we buy toilet paper.
1: Yeah, like, like massive, you know, uh, swaths of the not-for-profit sector, um, you know, could disappear. Uh, individual organizations like it's that level of risk if you talk to people in that in that sector. Uh, you know uh, corporations you know obviously some of them are disappearing you know j crew's gone, uh, pure one's gone, you know et cetera et cetera uh, or going. and then the the third question was so given all of that, what's what's the innovation that you see is possible? now even in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, like eighty percent of the leaders on those calls said they were strangely excited about the pivot. Really? It was like too early to be able to admit that. Right. Cause that's not a cool thing to, to say, but they're like, man, this sucks and we're scared and we don't know if we're going to survive or not organizationally. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, uh, uh, I kind of, I, I've been working on this for a, a, a talk I'm doing uh, next week in the sustainability sector. And uh, we talked about the difference between ordinary leaders and, and leadership and uh, you know, transformational or unstoppable—you know, leaders or, or leadership—and uh, we would say that you know, ordinary leaders uh, often blame their circumstances for their results, right? Mm-hmm. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough resources, not enough people, wrong people, bad leadership, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then they point to that—not like it's not valid that some, that stuff is going on—but they're like, "This is why we can't do X." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a, a leader who is unstoppable, like by unstoppable, I mean they won't back down. You can't make them stop no matter what you do. And think of the you know, world-level transformational leaders you know, that you know and respect. Um, they did not stop. They did not back down. They were unbackdownable. They were unmessable. <laughs> so an unstoppable leader looks for and claims responsibility for something that nobody else is interested in being responsible for.
0: Mm, and, and something then, that that person, they, they themselves had no business being responsible for to the conventional yeah. thought, right?
1: Yeah, the leaders in Bashaw have no business being responsible for the fulfillment of human potential. Who the hell asked you? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. And that's kind of the point. But having, having said we're responsible for the quality of, of life you know, in, in our you know, part of Alberta, you're then able to start to speak some truths that most people wouldn't speak. You start to see more clearly. Right. And, and the leaders in Bashaw started to speak the truth about why different not-for-profits hadn't spoken to each other for 15 years. Like there's this invisible wall where they, you know, couldn't, you know, or wouldn't uh, do anything uh, together. But in, in the speaking of an uncomfortable truth, speaking truth to power, speaking truth publicly, you have to be willing to personally confront the consequences of that mm. because the system, the old paradigm, doesn't go quietly, right? A wounded beast will attack, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and once um, you
0: name it uh, kind of by definition, then you have to deal with it. It's yeah. like when, when, you, when, you, when you walk by the puddle of dog pee on the carpet and you didn't see it, kind of, yeah. you know, you, you don't have to clean it up. But as soon as you, have admitted that you've noticed that it's there you now have to kind of deal with that
1: yeah you do you got to deal with the puddle right then you got to figure to do something with the towel that you used and then you got to figure out how to train the dog and then you got to figure out how to deal with the fact that you and your wife disagreed on whether you should get a dog in the first place and then you got (laughs) to deal with that your child said they would take care of the dog and they're not like it's like a bump a bump like it keeps (laughs) it keeps unfolding right so (laughs) You know, and, and that could be, you know, the, the new puppy, um, or it could be society, right? So the, the work we're doing in the country of Slovakia, um, you know, one of the participants in our, in our course, similar to the ones you experienced, um, uh, led and generated a, a march of 120,000 people across 10 cities.
0: Wow. Now,
1: he did that because this group had discovered that in their blind spot was this thought called, you're not going to get me, right? And that was a holdover. Um, from, you know, the Iron Curtain days, uh, or being a, a, you know, a communist country. And it's not like they didn't knew that thought was in the water, but they thought it was all those other, you know, untransformed leaders, not the 30 of us who are the ones who are trying to raise the national consciousness level in this big project. So, but they, they dealt with that. And then they, they had to confront were they willing to be what they said, in saying where the people who are going to raise the national consciousness level. Now, uh, one of them was a, was a journalist and his best friend was uh, killed, assassinated effectively. His girlfriend was killed in the crossfire uh, as an innocent bystander because they were investigating uh, corruption uh, in the government. So then this other journalist, his best friend, had to make a choice. Do I keep my head down or do I be what we said we were going to be together? So he went back to this group of 30 people and he said, we're going to start a conversation about that and this is you know the line in the sand and then uh you know at one point he was in the middle of this march you know with a megaphone you know wondering if there were sniper rifles trained on him not because there were but that was a a thought he had to deal with so when you say deal with the consequences if you're going to be you know gandhi or martin luther king you know somebody might be coming after you right or they might not um but for sure people are going to disagree disagree violently they're going to call you names they're going to tell you you're stupid tell you you're weird all those things right so mm-hmm. that's why that truth that you're speaking has to be big enough to be worth it right? right and that's only from you being willing to say hey inside of the way things are going right now there really is an impact we can't turn a blind eye anymore there is pee on the rug we are arguing about the dog <laughs> we are ignoring the fact that somebody who said they would take care of the dog isn't do that now take that to democracy or poverty or, or any level that you want right mm-hmm. so you got to you got to claim responsibility speak the truth demonstrate that truth and then be willing to deal with the discomfort of that you know disruption because you're now charting a, a new unusual unlikely path and if you're going to ask people to come along on that path with you you got to be side by side with them so they can see you being unbackdownable so that they mm-hmm. can you know find their own courage to not back down
0: yeah so um one of the courses that you guys offer the course that I took that you've uh, mentioned a couple of times, the being a leader course is that that six day transformational leadership uh, training. Um, really? I, I think all of the work that you guys do is in the domain of creating leadership capacity and creating, yeah. create, building leaders. Right. Yeah. And a leader um, is not always just the typical, you know, well, we'll wait to see what the CEO says. Well, let's tune in and see what Trump or Trudeau is saying today. And like our, our political and business uh, or spiritual leaders that kind of tell us this is how it's going to be. And this is what to think, or this is what we're going to do. This is it. We're all going to go this direction. Um, we're kind of, (laughs) we're at that point now, I think, especially, uh, people who have been really adversely impacted by, uh, the COVID pandemic where, um, I think there's this readiness to, for people to, people just want to take action. People want to say, well, we're not going to wait for the leaders to tell us, um, our marching orders. And that's why. And so you see different expressions of that. You see people, um, rallying and protesting and saying, you know, we got to open up the economy again. And then you see other people that are, no, we're going to respect, um, what uh, Alberta health or what uh, the Canadian uh, leaders are, are telling us, and we're going to follow the rules, but we, uh, we want to still take action and move forward and, and not wait for this official yeah. kind of decision to be made. So back to like, the previous question, I think we're at this pivotal point now where there's, there's a lot of stuff that the light has been shed on that needs to get dealt with. Like it wasn't really working before. And it's yeah. really not working right now because just locking down and hunkering, you know, sheltering in place isn't something you can do forever. So we need to move forward and we're getting into this tension of the uncomfortableness of, you know, people are racking up debts and people businesses yeah. are, are are going bankrupt and people are stuck at home with maybe with someone in in a marriage that isn't going to work out back mm-hmm. to your, your statistic of the, you know, the divorce rate there's a lot of tension that's building and building and people want to resolve that and and move forward knowing that yeah. we can't go back and i think increasingly recognizing that the the big kids in charge are yeah. you know th- there there is no grown up at the wheel in a lot of parts of the world right now yeah so i'm really curious to see how all of this is going to change our world what the world's going to look like for my for my kids and your kids growing up and uh, i do see that there's just a huge need for more individuals as well as organizationally but just for for human beings to um to get responsible for the world that we're creating collectively
1: yeah yeah we it it really is a it's a time of massive uh pressure right and and you know there's a I don't remember who the quote is, but never waste a crisis, right? So whether whether you're trying to <clears throat> lead an organization or transform your community or just, you know, get through the, through the day, I think one way to get started is to be willing to say what works and what doesn't work, and then to say that publicly, right? And it doesn't have to be big. So I, I wore a mask uh, going shopping for the first time, you know, last uh, Saturday was homemade, I made it from socks, I thought it looked stupid. It was (laughs) physically uncomfortable. I felt strangely emotionally uncomfortable, like, oh, how's it gonna look? Like, who cares? I mean, I know that, but it's still happening in my brain. And, uh, you know, my wife shared with me, she said, as a a white male, that's a big deal. Because whoever is in the position of privilege in a given moment, whoever the, the current or old system favors, they can flaunt the rules or break the rules, right? Mm-hmm. whereas uh, my wife's a woman of color. She's, she's got less ability to break the rules. Uh, an indigenous woman or a black man would have less ability to break the rules, right? And then, and then not have any consequences. So I say it works to wear a mask out in public so that other people can feel safe, even though we've been very strictly self-isolating and it's you know, very low chance that I'm an asymptomatic carrier, but who knows, right? And people who see me in the store don't know that I've been doing that. So that's an an act of leadership, right? Um, And then some people are wearing masks and they're getting criticized for it or spit on or harassed, right? So that's willing to deal with the consequences. Now, take that to any level you want, but one of the first places to claim responsibility and speak a truth is to say, hey, that thing right there, that doesn't work. And I'm willing to state it publicly and then deal with the consequences of that. Or say, hey, this thing over here, that does work. I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to boost that. I'm going to Make sure people know that I'm in support of, it, even if it's on the fringe, because that works. So it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to have a grand plan. But you do have to be willing to ask, you know, what's the purpose for me, right? What are we actually up to together? What are we actually trying to achieve? Because it's not get back to, quote, unquote, the old normal. And you know what? You just have to be willing to be passionate. And sometimes that means being willing to be angry. Not so you can go vomit your opinion on somebody or abuse them with your emotion, but like, man, that doesn't work to the extent that I'm pissed off, right? Mm. So look at truth and reconciliation, look at you know missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, look at the status of anything that you wanna look at, how we deal with poverty, um, you know, you name it, right? Are you willing to be passionate, including being pissed off to say, that doesn't work. I'm going to state it publicly. I'm going to figure it out, you know, and deal with the consequences.
0: Yeah. The the, the word that kept popping into my head as you're describing um, describing that is authenticity. And what I mean by that is, and so this is a kind of a this is one of these terms that um, we all know what authenticity means. We all have understand the definition of what it is to be authentic, to be, you know, the real McCoy, to be truthful, to yeah. be um uh to be honest, right? But in the context of the work that Unstoppable Conversations does, it has a little bit of a different meaning maybe um, than that. And and it's it's a word that comes up a lot in the work that you do and in the training. Yeah. And where I think authenticity kept coming up for me is that it's not in recognizing that something's working or not working. It's not simply about... Um, griping and complaining or airing your grievances or going on a big rant um on facebook yeah. about how this person that that's right back to blaming right and just finding all the reasons yeah. why it was well yeah. this person did this or this circumstance didn't work or we didn't have the budget or or whatever but yeah. uh, a declaration of this is what i'm uh, willing to stand for this is what this is what works in the world. And I don't care if I look silly, I'm going to wear the mask. And this is why that's an authentic yeah. expression of your values um, that could, will, will have an impact on, on others. Right. Like is, do you see that the connection that I'm maybe trying to make? Yeah, here? totally. Authenticity
1: is, is yeah. we call it one of the four foundational factors of leadership um, in, in what we teach And um, so are you just going to say stuff, you know, on Facebook or in your coffee group? Are you going to say stuff and you're going to do things that back up what you say? Right. That's a different level. Are you going to say stuff? You're going to do something about it. And is who you're being about it in that moment all consistent? So if all three of those line up, what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're being in the moment, right, then people will experience you as authentic. Mm. And, And that comes with charm and influence immediately like people will perceive you as as interesting as charming right as as charismatic is probably a better way to say it when i'm saying something and doing another no charisma no influence right when i'm saying and doing something but how i'm being about it just doesn't quite line up then leaves people suspicious because they know something not quite right sounds good right Mm -hmm. so you know that authentic expression uh gives you a lot of power and people will naturally be attracted to that and they'll they'll want to hear more of what you're saying and then they'll start to get interested in why are you saying that and then that leads to the core values and you know fundamental beliefs and you know your your purpose right so it's all it's all interlinked you don't have to start with responsibility you don't have to start with authenticity you don't have to start with purpose but you pick any one of those and they will they will lead to the other one
0: yeah, they're super connected. So yeah. um, we're kind of running out of time, Kevin, but one question that I had told you I would ask you and give you the opportunity to share about and we, that we didn't touch on is I'd quickly like, love for you to share a little bit of, uh, speaking of the word purpose, your own sort of origin story and and why you get so fired up um, and why you're here, um, why yeah. you're doing the work that you're doing right from home right now. But uh, you know, you talked about sort of the the purpose and the why that Unstoppable Conversation has. What is Kevin's why? What is why do you exist?
1: Yeah, why am I fired up, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so my uh, I love Origin Story. I grew up reading Spider-Man comic books, so Origin Story is perfect. Um, when I was in uh, about second grade, I decided I wanted to do two things. I wanted to be an astronaut, and uh, and I wanted to write science fiction novels. And uh, so I grew up watching Star Trek as, as well. And I got a big uh, kind of a hero complex, uh, which sounds good, except it's like right next door to Martyr Complex, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a good thing. But I kind of grew up wanting to save the world. That's what I thought you did, like, you know, running a starship or that's what leadership's supposed to look like. Or, you know, Spider-Man out on his own. Nobody knows, right? He's got a cold and his pajamas, long underwear is ripped underneath his suit, but he's out there fighting crime in the rain, right? Because it's the right thing to do. Great power, great responsibility. So by the time I got to high school, I thought that meant uh, becoming an aerospace engineer, and uh, I thought, "Hey, I'm going to join this. I'm going to go to NASA, and we'll help Russia and the United States go to Mars together. We'll do a manned Mars mission. Finally, it'll take the whole world to do it, and then they'll stop arguing about nuclear weapons and end the Cold War." Because so I grew up in the you know threat of nuclear war in the in the '70s and '80s, right? Um, and then uh, uh, it turned out engineering wasn't the right thing for me. I was more into stories and narrative and you know hero's journey. And then you know, over time, but I never lost that desire to, to change something, right? Or to, to, to help people, to impact the world. And as I got older, I eventually got the environmental conversation uh, shortly after my uh, first son was born almost 17 years ago. And when I said, be willing to get, get angry, I, I, I finally got the math around climate change in uh, 2003, 2004. And I'm like, oh my God, we're so stupid. And I, I remember I, I was listening to a speaker and, uh, and I closed my eyes. I'm like, okay, who in the world knows about this already? They're smarter than I, they get the climate thing. They're like getting it taken care of and, and cool or whatever. And I'm like, I don't think anybody's doing it. And I had this, like just this moment where I'm like, as a, as a race and we're the smartest we've ever been, we're the most successful we've ever been, we're the richest we've ever been, we've we got the most technology we've ever had. And we're possibly literally making our planet unlivable for ourselves. So, I got so angry at how incredibly blind and stupid we could be that I couldn't help but do something about it. Now, my version, because uh, I like to think of myself as uh, the good guy, right? Um and nice and and all those things, I, I'm not personally going to chain myself to a to a tree, probably. Although I respect people who are willing to do that. That's a lot of courage. So, but my version was like, well, how do we take this this thing called transformation and not just do it for you know individual you know people, but how do we take that to organizations, people, and and companies, uh, teams that already have influence? So, one of my goals now is how do we take this this world of you know people who are quote unquote woke. And they're already out there, um, they're engaged, they're, they've founded not-for-profits, they're leading movements. But how do we take that this world of, of our version of transformation put those together so that one empowers the other? And uh, I think that's, that's incredibly uh, useful. And so rather than us just look at how do we empower individual organizations, we're trying to figure out how do we empower mass uh, collaboration? How do we empower mass collaboration at scale? how do we have multi-stakeholder groups and conversations get themselves out of their way? Like that's what Slovakia was. So not just a single organization, but 20 or 30 organizations coming together. So uh, I think for me that could be the secret sauce. And if we can get that figured out, then maybe we can take these seemingly impossible results that we produce at the organizational and individual levels and have it, that happen at the group and the, and the societal level. So that's the, the quest uh, for me hmm. now.
0: That sounds like it's worth getting out of bed for in the morning, Kevin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're a B Corp. It's why we just joined 1% for the planet. You know, It's, it's why I only hang out at those types of conferences uh, anymore. So we're interested in people who actively want to make the world a better place and, and they're not quite sure how to fit all the pieces together.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I got to commend you and acknowledge you for um, the, just the scale at which you are aligning your core values and what's been important to you for your entire life with um, the direction that you're leading yourself, and the direction that you're leading your family and your community, and the direction that you're leading Unstoppable. And I know um, that you guys have an amazing team. Uh, it's really been cool hearing some more of the stories of impact that you guys have had with different clients, with different organizations. Yeah. I've I've heard lots of other testimonials um, from individuals and companies that have worked with Unstoppable. And of course, the the personal experiences that I've had through our our church, the Bash United Church, uh, our community, um, and then myself personally, it's it's amazing the work that you guys do. And and I want to thank you um, not only for coming on the podcast and talking about it, but just for doing it in the first place. That it uh, it really does have a big impact on the world.
1: Uh, thank you, Ben. I, I appreciate the acknowledgement. We're uh, we're we're trying to get bigger. And we're trying to do it faster because we want to make a bigger impact. Um, uh, I'm scaring the heck out of myself all the time. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm big enough to take on the, the you know, the size of you know what, what I just described to you. Um, uh, and so we're doing the work on ourselves all the time. We're trying to transform mm. ourselves. Um, so we're in the game. You know, it's yeah. not because we've got it quote unquote figured out. We're side by side with you and, you know, the leaders in Bashaw and, and, and all of our clients, not because we have the answer. So I, I really appreciate the knowledge and um, you know, I'm figuring it out just like you're figuring it out. So but we could do it together would be very different than doing it alone, right?
0: Yeah, well that's why you absolutely need um we we need each other and we need people in our lives, right? Like last week on the podcast, Robin and I were talking about the story of the ascension of Christ. So he's yeah. he's come back to life after Easter and forty days, forty days later, he ascends or he's he's taken up um by the clouds and there's two white figures there that speak to the disciples and they, they tell them why, why are you looking up at the sky? Kind of, you know, um, blank faced and not knowing what to do and stunned obviously. And they have to figure out how are they going to go forward? How are they, what are they, what did they do now? And so Robin and I were drawing the parallel between what that must have been like for them and the position that we are in now as a world and how, um, the story is that you know jesus said to the disciples i'm leaving but i'm i'm leaving you with the holy spirit and and, and how i how i interpret that is that um, simply we are all connected to our humanity through that universal life force energy that has given us all our life and that none of us are doing the work that you're talking about or whatever our goals are um, to make this world a better place, none of us are doing that alone. We all are connected spiritually to each other, and we have that to draw on.
1: So great, man! So let's uh, let's start. Stop waiting for somebody else to figure it out, and let's start getting it done together, right? That's it. Let's get in action, right?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. it.
1: I hear you, brother. I'm in.
0: All right, me too. Well, thanks again for for sharing some stories today and some awesome conversation with me. Um, I think people are gonna get a lot out of it and I'm excited for for people to hear this episode. For anyone listening who maybe wants to check out uh, more of the work that Unstoppable is up to, uh, what would be the best place for people to track you down and check out some of the courses and opportunities?
1: Anybody who's interested can come to uh, our website, www.unstoppableconversations.com. We have a lot of content there, uh, blogs and uh, getting in conversation or reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn at Kevin Gangle.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Kevin, for your time today. I know you've got something coming up uh, soon, so I'll let you go. Um, but yeah, it was awesome to reconnect with you, hear more about the purpose and the backstory behind you as a, as a human being and behind Unstoppable Conversation. And again, just thank you for the awesome work that you're doing in the world.
1: Deeply appreciate the conversation, Ben. Thanks for everything you're doing.
0: Thank you. Cheers. And thank you everybody for listening. Join us again next week on the Six Ways From Sunday podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share these episodes with your networks and friends and anyone you think might get some value out of uh, joining these conversations. And until next time, take care and be well.